Thanks for your interest in Emmanuel Baptist. Here at Emmanuel, we believe in the one and only authoritative text for guidance, the Holy Bible. We pray that this sermon will speak to your heart and open your eyes to the glory of God. Make sure you plug into your local church and get to know others that love the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you. Thanks again, and God bless you guys. Every one of us I know has Christmas memories, especially as maybe children growing up in the homes we were in and uh, different things come to mind. And, and when I think of, of Christmas, uh, my memories growing up was really a little nativity scene. It was a piece of wood about, about yay big and about yay tall. It wasn't much. It was uh, a wooden uh, barn, I guess, with different figures in there. But I've always remembered that as, as a special memory growing up of a little nativity scene. And, and of course, in nativity scenes, we always have uh, the baby Jesus in the middle and Mary lovingly looking over her and uh, over him. And usually Joseph standing above them, looking down lovingly. And you have shepherds there, maybe some sheep, and maybe wise men are there too, and maybe a, a star at the top. But we all have these images of this nativity scene. But it, it seems as, as much as we emphasize Mary during Christmas season, we seem to ignore her rest of the year and she's a big deal at Christmas but we kind of ignore her uh, we Baptists and others and maybe because we ignore her because our Roman Catholic friends seem to overemphasize her and we want to go in the opposite direction because our Roman Catholic friends say different things about Mary that we kind of scratch our heads over it was just a few years ago, uh, five or more years ago, I finally understood this term. I've heard the term for years. You have too, the Immaculate Conception. Who's heard that term before, right? I always thought that meant Jesus' conception was immaculate, right? That's not what it means. Mary's conception in her mother's womb was immaculate. Roman Catholics teach this because for Mary it was so holy to carry the, the, the body of, of Jesus, the Savior, in her womb, she had to be a pure vessel. So our Catholic friends teach she was conceived in her mother's womb immaculately. That's interesting. Ooh. We also talk about the sinlessness of Mary. They do. Because she was, again, she was the, the, um, the vessel that carried the, the body of our Lord. She had to be sinless to produce, I guess, the sinless individual Jesus. They teach the perpetual virginity of Mary. She was a virgin before, during, and after her marriage with Joseph. Now, we say, whoa, didn't the Bible say that they had, Jesus had brothers, named four of them, and sisters? That means at least two. It might have been four. It might have been six. We don't know. But our Roman Catholic friends know those were really Joseph's previous family he brought into a relationship with Mary. Or perhaps that word could be translated uh, cousins. Well, uh, we kind of worry about that. Also, the Catholics teach that she bodily assumed, like Jesus. She was alive and she was taken up to heaven, not experiencing death. Now, how official that is, I don't know. I understand in Ephesus, where tradition is that John the Apostle took Mary with him to live with him there in Ephesus, there's at least two or three places in the Ephesus area, that's in modern-day Turkey, 
which are burial places of Mary, and a couple places that are said to be where she ascended into heaven. So I don't know what the tradition really is. But Roman Catholics believe she did not experience death, but she was assumed into heaven. And then there is the veneration of Mary. Now, what does that mean? That's not a word we Baptists use. My, my first course I taught in college was, was Craven Community College in the Havelock Center. And I taught world religions. And I got to the area of Christianity and talked about Catholicism. And I said how the Catholics worship Mary. And as a lady raised her hand, she's about late 30s, and she's a, like a Sunday school teacher in the Catholic Church. She said, Dr. Outland, we Catholics don't worship Mary. We venerate her. And I went, okay. <laughs> I found out later what veneration means. So we, we, we praise people. We praise the saints, right? And we worship Jesus, worship God. And we praise saints. Veneration is between praise and worship. They're not worshiping Mary they venerate her, which is higher than praise. Now, all these things as Catholics teach, we Protestants, we Baptists, we evangelicals say, whoa, where is that in the Bible? So I think because our Catholic friends seem to overemphasize Mary all year round, perhaps we ignore Mary. And we need to get a balance there somewhere. Uh, we need to look at Mary more carefully. We, we need to, to, to understand who she is, and she is a great role model for you and for me. Let's explore that a little bit. Have your Bibles of hope to the, the first chapter of Luke. And, and beginning at verse 5, I won't read this, but I want to kind of rehearse what's going on. And in verse 5 and following talks about the, the birth of John the Baptist. I hope you remember that story. Uh, his mother Elizabeth was barren. She was an older lady. What older means, I don't know whether she was 40 or 50 or 60. I don't know how old she was, but she was beyond really childbearing. She was barren, and her husband was a priest, and his time was by lot for his, his group to be at the temple to do offer incense. He was there. Angels spoke to him. He really didn't believe or he was doubtful. He had a, a sign. He, he couldn't speak. He became uh, a mute. Um, and then until the baby was born, and they conceived, and um, verse 24, after these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days he looked at me to take away my reproach among men. And then in 26 and following is when uh, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. And, and says, you're going to be, have a, a child. And, and you know that the Christmas story here in verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how can this be? He says, I'm a virgin. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And before the, uh, therefore the child will be born be called the Son of God. Verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, she immediately, it says here, she went to see her uh, cousin, relative Elizabeth. Elizabeth is about six months pregnant at this point. Uh, Mary has just been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And when she visits her cousin, uh, as you I know are aware, uh, verse uh, 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she said her song. 
And this is interesting, with a lot to explore here, but with this, Mary responds with her song of praise in verse 46 to 55 we read just a moment ago, and that's going to be our text today. So that's kind of the the context. So Mary has come to to see her her cousin or her relative Elizabeth, and John the Baptist has responded by leaping in in Elizabeth's womb, and and, uh, Elizabeth praises God, and now Mary praises God. Now, ever since God spoke the prophecy in Genesis 3.15, we looked at it a few weeks ago, every woman of God had hoped that she would become the mother of the Messiah and the Savior of mankind. Every Jewish girl, woman, this was a, a, a hope of theirs. And for now for the first time in all those thousands of years, a young virgin woman from Nazareth was selected by the one and only God of Israel to be the vessel of the incarnation. Now, as we examine in detail the song of Mary uh, to magnify the Lord in response to Elizabeth's blessing, we will discover the depth of this young woman's knowledge of the Word of God. From the law, to the prophets, to the songs of her father, forefather David in the Psalms, from her song of praise we'll find that she understood the love and power of God toward her as well to the wonderful plan of salvation for his people Israel and for the whole world, who's willing to put their faith in him in his son, Jesus the Messiah. So as you look at his, her song here, I want to, to bring out three observations here that she says. The first is in verse 46 to 48. She says, God is my Savior. Let's look at this. Verse 46, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me Blessed. She calls him God, my Savior. Her spirit rejoices that God is her Savior. Then, in the wider context, Mary and Joseph and all who were born from Adam since need a Savior. Now, I think our Catholic friends kind of think they don't say this specifically, but if Mary was sinless to carry the body of Jesus, it seems like she didn't need a Savior, right? We would say, no, every person needs a Savior, including Mary. Mary was a great woman, but she's a sinner just like you and me. And she needed a Savior, and she understands that God is her Savior here. See, once we place our faith in God to do this, to save us, we become his spiritual children. And the sin that separates us from God is forever erased from our lives. That's good news. This is already true for Mary. So now when she speaks of the Savior, she's thanking the one who can deliver her from her invisible and visible enemies. Now here, Mary really is reaching back to the words written a thousand years earlier by her ancestor David, King David, in Psalm 34. God had anointed him, David, to be the king of Israel even while Saul was pursuing him. Saul was still the king. But David had been anointed by Samuel to be the next king, but that's an interesting transition. In this situation, the jealous David pursued, Saul pursued David in the wilderness of Judea. And during that time, David found himself in the camp of the Philistines, the enemies of Israel. And he cried out to the Lord to save him, and God was his deliverer. As a result of his deliverance, he wrote this song of praise, Psalm 34. As a result of his deliverance, he wrote this psalm, and through the Holy Spirit, Mary chose this psalm to praise the Lord because it was a well-known messianic psalm. 
They understood this. We were talking about the Messiah, and Mary is picking up on this. Then she went on to quote in verse 9 of Psalm 35, another song of David's written in the same season when he's being pursued by Saul to be, to be killed. In this humility, David was calling on the one who could save him from his great and deadly trouble, of course, the God of Israel. So Psalms 34 and 35 were not only Messianic Psalms, but the coming of the Savior and the struggles he would have with his enemies as symbolized by David's experience. But remembering these psalms, Mary could look at her own circumstances as well in the days and years ahead of her, how she would need deliverance from her enemies. She would need a savior against those who would try to inflict emotional harm by spreading gossip. You can imagine the gossip there in Bethlehem and Nazareth. See, friends, they all, everybody knew this was not Joseph's boy. They, everybody knew that. All kinds of rumors about this. They knew she was pregnant before they were married. All kinds of rumors. She was having a sexual affair with a man, or she mar- Joseph married her to cover up her mysterious pregnancy, or some other words that she was raped by a Roman soldier. You can imagine. She could have not have been more than 16 or 17. Some say she might have been as young as 14 at this point. Where did Mary get this amazing maturity? I was talking, well, I was with my son-in-law. We were talking about some Bible stuff yesterday at our house. It was celebrating Christmas there, and, and we are talking about Mary, and I asked him, how many 14-year-old girls you know are this mature? Not too many. Maybe some. But Mary, if she's 14, even she's 16 here, she's expressing great maturity. Where did she get this from? Well, I think she got this from, she was steeped in the, the, the scriptures. She, her whole life was steeped in the scriptures, and she believed the God who revealed himself through the scriptures. She knew the Psalms. She understood her forefather David's songs. She sang them. She absorbed them. And when the angel came and revealed what's about to happen, it all fit. It all kind of came together for her. And that's why she could say, I am the bondservant of the Lord, of the living God. Whatever you want to do, do it. Great maturity. She understood what was going on here. She knew she needed a Savior personally. And this baby of hers will be the Savior of Israel, the Savior of the world. You see, friends, you and me need a Savior to save us from our sins. She knew the scriptures. She was steeped in it. And for us to know God and his plan, not just for our lives, but his plan for the universe, we need to know the scriptures. Second observation, God is my Savior. She says, God is my strength. Verses 49 and 50. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God is my strength, she's saying. So as Mary thought about these events that occurred in the weeks before her visit to Elizabeth, she was overwhelmed by the mighty one that had done great things for her. She she recalled once more the angel's words, for nothing is impossible for God. She says his name is holy. Mary continues, quoting from another great Messianic psalm. She quotes from verses 17 and 18 from Psalm 103. 
This was a song of praise from David based on all that God had done for him and all that God is. She again has taken one of David's psalms. You see, friends, this mighty God was very much involved with his people. He showed mercy to Abraham's wife, Sarah, when she was barren. And she gave birth to a son named Isaac. Isaac's wife, Rebekah, was barren. But Isaac prayed, and God gave her a set of twins named Jacob and Esau. Manoah had a wife who was barren, but God blessed her with a son named Samson. And there was Elkanah and Hannah who prayed that the barren Hannah would have a child, and she bore a son and named him Samuel. Mary's cousin Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah were well beyond childbearing years when the angel Lord foretold their birth of John. And for Mary, just as these others, the impossible was about to happen. She, a virgin, would bear a son and call him Jesus. So how many times in, in your life, maybe just this last week, how many times in your life have you experienced God as your strength? that he has shown himself to be mighty. What mighty thing has God done for you? We could take the rest of the afternoon talking about each of us sharing what God has done. Maybe it was last week or last month or sometime in our life, we have experienced God is our strength. He has done mighty things in our lives. And if he has, and I'm sure he has, have you told others that, what he's done? So Mary, in her song, says, God is my Savior and God is my strength. Then she says, God, God is my warrior judge. That's my fault there, probably. God is my warrior judge, 51 to 56, or 55, really. Look at 51. Mary continues, he, God, has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in his thoughts, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hunger with good things, and rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So here, Mary's mind and heart turn to the works of her mighty God. And she, if you look at this very carefully, she uses seven verbs in the past tense to encourage her heart for the present as well as for the future. She understood based on the scriptures that, first of all, God did mighty deeds with his arm. Now, God doesn't have an arm. That's a symbolizing strength. He did mighty deeds with his arm. Second, he scattered the proud. Third, he brought down the ungodly rulers from their thrones. And, and I'm sure as, as Mary is rehearsing this, this psalm here, as she's thinking of this, she's thinking of how uh, God's holy arm was over Pharaoh in Egypt or how over the enemies of Canaan when they came into the promised land, over the wicked kings of Israel and Judah, over the kings of Assyria and Babylon, over the kings of Persia and Greece, and now as Israel hoped at this present time over Rome. At the same time, fourth, he humbled humble men. He exalted humble men and women like Moses or like Joshua or Deborah or Gideon, or Esther, or David, or Isaiah, or Daniel, Elizabeth, just to mention a few, how he exalted these individuals, and all then led up to her yet unborn son, Jesus. Fifth, he filled the need to the hungry, both physically and spiritually. Sixth, he sent the rich away empty-handed. 
And seventh, he gave help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. God is, she's saying, my, weakness. God is our warrior judge, 51, 55. How has God been your warrior judge for you? How has he been one who has taken care of things, even those who seem to be oppressing you? God has taken care of things. Does that encourage you for the future? I hope it does. Because of what God has done in the past, when hard times come to our lives, it's hard, but we know God has been faithful in providing what we need in the past. He will do it in the future. You see, Mary is, despite what I said about our Catholic friends, Mary is special. She really is. She put great faith, great trust in God and in God's plan. It's amazing what she says here. We do need to model her. We need to honor her because she is a great model for us. Mary had already understood that, that spiritual reality that was fully expressed when she broke out in song in the presence of her cousin Elizabeth. Based on her understanding of the Word of God, and especially those songs or psalms that her forefather David had written down, she sang a new song to God, who was her Savior who was her strength, who was her warrior judge. And she's about to meet this personal loving God face to face in the form of her newborn baby whom she was going to call Jesus. This Jesus will be born to die and then to be raised from the dead in order to save us, you and me, from our sins, to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and bring us into his wonderful kingdom. Is, Christ, is the Christ child your Savior? I'm sure he is. So do you praise him for his strength in your life? Do you accept him, accept that God loves you and wants you to love him? And lastly, will you be like Mary to humbly be obedient to God? Let's pray together. Lord, indeed, this young woman, this teenager, is magnificent. What a great role model. What a, uh, a great heart of obedience, understanding Scripture. She's so steeped in Scripture. May we be that way, Father. May I be that way. We thank you for her obedience to you, for being a servant and trusting you when she knew things were going to be tough. Help us, help me to trust you in all things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.